Things are going on, but today is Father's Day. Now, we've posted some pictures on Instagram and church Facebook page about Father's Day. And one of those pictures was the Van Gimmerden men here. And I have to tell you, we got one response from this lady in Central Florida who said, if I lived up there, I know where I'd be going to church. And she's all those three good-looking guys uh, in the photos. I thought that was, uh, we'll let mama know about that, you know, <clears throat> that uh, they're not available. Jean said, no, sorry, they're not available. All taken right now. But it's Father's Day. And uh, let's just give dads a hand this morning. Would you do that? Thank you for being dad. Uh, and uh, even us dads, can, we, can, we can be thankful for other fathers. You can't deny the fact uh, of the impact that a father can have, either negative or positive, in the life of his child or children. Now, I've talked to you, I want to talk a little bit about my dad to introduce the service this morning. I've talked to you most about him before. There's some pictures, they're not great pictures. Uh, upper right-hand corner, that's what he looked like when he was in his 20s. He was already a pastor by that time. Looks very pastoral, doesn't he, uh, in that particular picture. And then in the, uh, the one down in the middle there, uh, that's what he looked like. A little closer, he, this, uh, that was in 1950s in the, the top and the bottom one there, probably about 1969 or 70 or something like that. And there's my dad and mom on their 25th wedding anniversary. He died about two weeks after that picture was taken right there, but uh, always dressed up, always had a white shirt and a tie on. Uh, he was, without a doubt, the mo and remains, without a doubt, the most influential person ever in my life. But he wasn't for, around for a very long time in comparison to other fathers. He died the Thursday before Easter, March the 26th, 1970. I was a couple of months away from uh, college graduation, a 22-year-old. He was the only person that cared whether I went to college or not, so I didn't bother even walk, you know, walking through the line. They just mailed me my diploma. My brother was 20 and married. I had a 16-year-old sister, but dad was only 43, just two and a half years older than Todd is right now. Several months uh, younger than Brad, my older son, is right now. He never had, my dad never had the opportunity to meet Gene or any of his children, his grandchildren, or his great-grandchildren. And I'd like for him to have lived a little longer on this planet. And I wonder, uh, what would it have been like for me uh, if he lived to be 50, or 60, or 70, or 80? What would it have been like if I had had my dad as long as some of you have had your fathers? What would he have thought about the world in which we live right now? Well, actually, I actually have a pretty good idea about that one, but uh, you, know, you wonder a lot of times, what if we just pick this person up and drop them into our society right now, what would they think? How would he have related to his grandchildren and to his great-grandchildren? So I have those kinds of thoughts from time to time, but I really always just try to appreciate the time that we had together and the influence that he had on me. And I remember with fondness, as I started getting a little bit older, uh, that I be really began to appreciate him, you know, and who he was and what he had done in my life. And, and uh, the, the last Christmas of his life, my brother and I got together and we bought him a special gift. Now, this is a terrible picture, but you might see that he's holding a gun. My dad was not a gun guy, uh, but I, they liked to, he and his buddies, they used to like to go out in the Everglades and just shoot pistols. And what is his dream gun 
was a nickel-plated Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. And so my brother and I pooled our resources, and we were really proud of ourselves, you know, that we bought that for him uh, the Christmas before he passed. And by the way, that was before stainless steel guns, uh, nickel plating or uh, was about as good as you could get. While dad was living, I'll have to say this about, and maybe you could say this about your father, your mother, your parents, but while dad was living, I depended on him more than I depended on God. And when I needed something, I didn't go to God. I went to dad and asked him for that particular thing or asked him what he thought about that. After his death, I realized that all human beings will eventually let us down. Just due to human nature or due to mortality, the fact that none of us lives forever. Psalm 27 and verse 10, the psalmist wrote this. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. And as I mourned my dad's passing, I began to establish that closer relationship with my heavenly father, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God who loves me and is actually concerned about my well-being. When you, I, every time I think about that, it kind of boggles my mind that there is a God and that he is this great, he's so great, he's unimaginable, and that he actually cares about me. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, these words are, are, are recorded from God, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when I became a father, I tried to imitate both my earthly father and my heavenly father. Now, being a father can be the most complicated thing you'll ever do. And so uh, we're just going to simplify it as much as possible today uh, by looking at the example of our heavenly father. Now, I realized when my dad was alive and I was a kid, I just kind of thought he was Mr. Perfect, that he couldn't ever do anything wrong. And as I grew up, I realized that's not true, not true of anybody, that he made mistakes, he did things he shouldn't have done. Uh, uh, and, and, and it might disappoint me sometimes when I look back on it. But that's never true of my heavenly father. Now, most of you know that my dad was a pastor, was all of my memory, all of my conscious memory of him, he was a pastor. When I felt called to, to the preaching and pastoral ministry and was asked to go to a church in South Miami and preach my first sermon, dad suggested a sermon text. He said, why don't you preach from this text? And he suggested a, a little outline and he gave me a little bit of, of advice. It was keep it simple. And so I went down to that church that Sunday morning, just a small church with a few people who were there, and I read that verse, and I read every other verse I could think of in the entire Bible, and I said everything that I could possibly think of that I thought people might want to hear about that, and a lady in the group who timed it said, I took about 11 minutes. She probably, I probably didn't take quite that long, but 11 minutes was all I could get out. Now, some of you probably wish it was still a little bit more that way. But here's that verse. I wanted to use that verse, uh, the most popular and well-known verse in the entire Bible, the verse that my dad said, why don't you use this verse as the first verse that you'll ever speak from in your ministry? And you know what that is, John 3, 16, which says this, for God so loved the world. He loved the world so much. He, he loved the world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, 
that phrase literally means his one-of-a-kind son, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're a father, this verse will give you some idea of what it means to be a good dad. If you're a child and you no longer have maybe an active relationship with your father due to divorce or death or distance or whatever, then this verse teaches us four ways our Heavenly Father relates to us and helps us as dads to know what we can be. So let's just dive into it right away. Four things a good father does, and the first one is this. A father, a good father loves. That's the number one thing is love. We talk about love as the law around here. We talk about loving first and then standing against sin. Why? Because if you don't love to start with, nothing else matters. If you don't love to start with, nothing else accomplishes anything. And so John 3, 16 begins with these words, for God so loved the world. He loved the world in such a way, or he loved the world so much. God, in his very essence, had such great love for the world, for the people who rebelled against him, sinned against him. The Bible teaches us that, that God is one. There's only one God. But he's manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a difficult thing for anybody to understand. So this verse says more than that the Father loved us so much that he sent the Son, but that God loved us so much that he gave himself in the person of the Son for our sins. He came, separated himself from the Father, came and died on the cross for us. At the same time, God is our Heavenly Father. And Jesus tells us that we should call him Father and pray to him as Father. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse, verse 9, Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, prayer. This is an example of how to pray. You start like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and that's the way I always pray. I always address the Father in prayer because Jesus said this is the way you pray. Here's an example. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My experience as a father has given me some insights into some spiritual concepts that I only knew a little bit about until I became a dad. Those concepts I want to talk about are what it means to love or to love unconditionally and what it means to be loved unconditionally. Now, we may strive to love others unconditionally as God does, but it doesn't come naturally to us human beings, no human beings and certainly not to us fathers. This kind of unconditional love is something you have to develop. Now, example, you may love your wife, if you're married, unconditionally today, but you haven't always loved her that way. You didn't love her unconditionally before you met her. You didn't love her unconditionally before you started dating her. And after the first date, if you'd found out she was a terrorist, you might have dropped her like a hot potato, not wanting to have anything else to do with her. You may love her with all your heart now, but she has earned that love because she's just about the greatest person on the planet and and much too good for you, right? And so you love her now with all your heart. Too often, this is how we think God loves us. We think God's love grows the more he gets to know us and the more we do things worthy of of his love. The more we ingratiate ourselves to God, we think that God loves us more. But it doesn't work that way with God. God loves unconditionally, and that's something we learn by becoming a parent. 
When did you first love your child or children? Think about that. When did you first love that boy or that girl? Probably before they breathed their first breath on this planet. You already loved them. They had done nothing to earn your love. As a matter of fact, they had cost you money and time and sleep and pain, and you loved them anyway, simply because they were yours. They belonged to you. You helped create this human being, and you have continued loving them just for that one reason, because they are yours. This is human unconditional love. It's not perfect. It's not absolute. Most parents have it, but it's as close as we can come to understanding what it means that God loves us unconditionally. If you are a parent, think about that love that you have for your children. It's not based on performance. It's not based on merit. It's based on the fact that they belong to you, and that's how God loves us. It's not based on performance. It's not based on merit. It's based on the fact that we belong to him. I've never met a father who said, I don't love my children. Now, I've met some fathers that made the mistake of not telling their children that. I've met some dads that didn't express their loves, their love for their children. And uh, that's the only way they can know that we love them. People can't read your feelings. They can only read your actions. If you're never around... They think you don't love them. If you never tell them you love them, they wonder, well, does dad really love me or not? Maybe mom loves me and dad's just around to take care of things. Our heavenly father expressed his love for us again and again and again throughout scripture. When Adam and Eve sinned, God took care of them. He made clothes for them. Throughout the Bible, God tells us that he loves us and shows us love. He's promised to meet all of our needs and never to leave us. We read that verse of scripture in Hebrews chapter 13 earlier. The quotation is also, uh, God said that in Joshua chapter one and another time before that in the Old Testament. Now God's ultimate act of love was sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sins. He showed us love in other ways as well. For instance, God shows his love for us when he disciplines us. You know, that's something else dads have to do sometimes. They have to discipline their children. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. And here's what God says. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. As a child of God, as a son of God, don't take lightly uh, the instruction or the disciplinary correction of God. Don't be discouraged when he rebukes you. Don't want to quit because God's a little bit more harsh with you. Verse six, for whom the Lord loves. If he loves you, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. There that word scourge just means that God does whatever it takes to help us. Verse seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? God shows his love in many ways. And one of those ways is when he's not pleased with us and he allows things in our lives that correct us. Maybe your dad didn't know how to express love to you. If so, I can, I can assure you of one thing. He regrets that. Any dad that didn't express his love to his kids regrets that. But don't make the mistake 
of transferring your earthly father's weakness to your heavenly father. God loves you unconditionally. He said so and he backs it up with actions. Regardless of the relationship you might have had with your earthly father, you can have a personal heart-to-heart relationship with your heavenly father. He loves you unconditionally just because you belong to him by right of creation, if no other way. Dads, don't forget to show your love for your kids because the number one thing and the first thing and the most important thing a father loves. Here's the second thing. A father gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and it never does stop. That's, uh, if we look on in John 3, 16, he continues like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The only God, the creator of the universe, our heavenly father sent his son Jesus in the world to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and live with him forever. That was God's ultimate gift for us. So there is no greater gift, but every other good thing we have comes from God. Here's what Jesus' half-brother, a guy by the name of James, wrote a book that's in the New Testament. James chapter 1 and verse 17, here's what he said. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, the, the, the one that created all the heavenly lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Sometimes, you know, I'm casting a shadow right now. Sometimes you see things better than other times, but not so with God. He created all the lights and he never changes. He's never two-faced or fickle. The foundation of our relationship with God is in the fact that Jesus died for us, but it builds up with the other things he does, the other gifts that he's given us, our lives, our homes, our parents, our skills, our intellect. And when we allow him, he meets the needs that we have. He answers our prayers. He tackles our problems day by day, but we have to allow him to do that. A father gives, and our heavenly father gives and gives to us. Now, if you're a father, there are two primary things you need to give to your kids. And after I tell you what these two things are, give me a couple of minutes to explain them, all right? Your time and your money. Those are the two primary things a father gives to his children, your time and your money. Kids, don't be thinking too much about the money part of it uh, to start with. Your children need you to provide for them materially money, right? They have to have a place to eat, to, to live. They have to have food to eat. Have to have clothes to put on. It's hard to do much else if you don't get those basic needs taken care of. And then they need you to be there for them emotionally. They need for you to give them your time. They need to know that you love them and that you will always be there for them. A father once said this facetiously about his young son. There goes my chance to have a boat. As soon as you get the hospital bill paid, he'll have to have braces. And as soon as you get the Uh, the braces paid for, he'll want a car. And when that's paid off, it'll be time for college. And by then I'll be too old to even want a boat anymore. Of course, Rusty knows that's not exactly true. There are some, but here's what is true. There are some things that a father must do without, some sacrifice that he must make for his children if he wants to be the dad that he should be. The late Robert Schuller, well-known pastor and author, once said that he chose to be a failure at golf so that he could be a success as a father. What he meant by that is he realized he didn't have time to pastor a growing church, manage an international TV ministry, write best-selling books, and play golf, and be an attentive father. 
Now, by the way, I decided to give up the international TV ministry and the best-selling books and still couldn't play golf, but uh, I guess it just took me more time to raise the kids. Dads, you have sacrificed for your children, but the last thing any child should either ever hear or feel is, if it wasn't for you, I could have had a boat. I'm so thankful I never heard that from my parents, even though I know they sacrificed a lot for me, even though I know it, it, in some ways it would have been easier for them. A father gives to his children time and money. Each is essential. The two have to be balanced. A lot of times it would be easier just to give the money and let somebody else raise the children, but that doesn't work. Dads must be, we have to be available to our kids all the time, not just when they're young, as they're growing up and even when they're older. I don't know how many people I have uh, programmed into my cell phone, you know, two, 300, something like that. Those two or 300, there's 15 or 20 on speed dial. Of those that are on speed dial, Brad and Todd are number two and number three. Jean's number one, of course. She wouldn't, she wouldn't allow anybody else to be number one. But uh, Brad and Todd are number two, number three. If spending time with your dad in this world today isn't an option, here's something to keep in mind. Your heavenly father is always available. You can call on him anytime, day or night. You can talk to him about your troubles, your fears, your dreams. He'll listen to what you have to say. That's what a father does. He gives and he's there for his kids. And here's the third thing that a father does according to John 3, 16. He requires a father requires something from his children. It's not all give, 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 give. There's something that he requires. John 3, 16 is God's plan of salvation. It shows us what he did for us. He gave his son so that we could be saved, so that we could have the gift of eternal life. But it shows that he requires something of us as well. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whoever believes in him, those are the ones that spend eternity in heaven, whoever believes in him. We have a role to play in our salvation. God requires that we believe in him, that we place our trust in him. He doesn't expect more of us than we can give. We don't have the capacity to be perfect, so he doesn't ask us to be perfect. We don't have the capacity to pay the price for our own sins, so he took care of that but we do have the capacity to believe, and that's what he requires of us. A good father, we learn, has certain expectations for his children, certain requirements that he wants them to meet. He isn't unreasonable with it, he doesn't demand more than the child can give, but he does require a certain level of responsibility from his children. John Grisham wrote a book called The Testament back in 1999. And it's a story, begins anyway with a story about a man who had been very successful in business, more so than most. He amassed a fortune of $11 billion. Along the way, he was married three times, fathered seven children in those marriages, provided financially for all of them, but he was an emotionally absent father. He never expected anything of those kids. He gave each child a no-strings-attached $5 million gift on their 21st birthday. Some of us wouldn't mind having that, right? Get 21, get $5 million. Uh, do anything you want to with it. Eventually, each child wound up deeply in debt, resentful of their father, e eagerly awaiting for him to die 
so that they could divide up uh, the $11 billion that he had. Though this man was a success in the eyes of the world, he was a failure as a father and his children paid the price. And of course, that's what the whole story is about uh, after that. In the Bible, there's a man by the name of Eli. Eli was a man of God, a priest who served in God's temple. Though Eli was a faithful priest, he was a failure as a father. The sons of Eli had no respect for God or God's law. They defiled the sacrifice. They extorted money from people who brought offerings to the temple. They slept with the women who served in the temple. Eli knew what they were doing. He knew their behavior was wrong, but he chose to do nothing about it. As a result, God judged Eli. Think about this, if you will. A father has a responsibility to set the example for his children and to say this, either in word or by action, this is the way we live and nothing less is acceptable. This is the way we live, not because we're Harris's or Smith's, but because we are children of God. This is the way we live and nothing less is acceptable. God's man Joshua put it this way in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua wasn't a young man with one, young children when he said this. He was near death. He was on the way out. His children were grown up. And while it is true that children make their own decisions when they grew up and, and grow up and they're responsible for themselves, we as parents must never accept anything in them that is ungodly. We just, it just, not that we, it doesn't mean we nag them constantly. That's not the right thing to do. It doesn't mean we throw them out or refuse to have anything to do with them, but it means that they always know this is what honors God and I will accept nothing less than, than this. Our heavenly father requires of us, first of all, that we trust in Jesus as our savior. Now we could go and some other things in scripture, but a father requires some things. And one more thing that we learn from John three sixteen: a father prepares his child for the future. Father's thinking, what's gonna happen to my child as he or she gets older? What's gonna happen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, should not and I, I could liberally translate that and say should not die and go to hell. That's what spiritual perishing is. Whoever believes in him should not die and go to hell, but instead would have everlasting life. God has created a future for you and me. His offering is eternal life. He doesn't want us to spend eternity without him. He wants us to live forever in his presence and he provided a way for that to happen. That's what a dad does, he provided a way for that to happen. It's our choice, but he provided a way. He did this by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross to pay the price of our sins. And when we put our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven and God gives us that gift of eternal life. Christianity, by the way, isn't about a person finding his own way to God. It's about God reaching us through his son. God had a vision for your future, a future spent forever in eternity with him, and he's provided a way for you to get there. 
and all who call upon him will be saved. In the same way, earthly fathers need to do everything they can to direct their children in a way that will be best for that child. I say this rather cautiously because we know examples of fathers who go overboard in this. You will be a doctor. I don't care what you want to be. You will play baseball. I don't care. We all know fathers who have lived vicariously through their sons and daughters. But fathers must give their children the right kind of guidance. Let me just say this very quickly. Fathers should prepare their children for the future in three primary areas. And there's the first one. A father should help his children prepare spiritually. That's number one always spiritually for the future by bringing them up in a Christian atmosphere. That, that would include telling them about Jesus, living for Jesus in front of them, encouraging them to be involved in church, challenging them to grow in their personal relationship with Christ. Here's the second thing. A father should prepare his children for the future in, in this way. Number two, a father should help his children prepare for the future of their career. What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to make money? How are you going to live in the future? He should help his children identify their gifts and skills and interests and help them discover the kind of work that is best for them. He should encourage them to pursue their dreams as long as they are godly dreams, as long as they are in the will of God. He should help them prepare for the challenges that they're going to face. And he should give them his total support as they enter life as an adult. Number three. A father should help his child prepare for developing relationships. Everything we do is based on relationships. Everything of any value is based on relationships. A father should teach his children about the kind of person to choose as a friend and about the kind of person to date and consider as a husband or a wife. Of course, children are going to learn from example, and they will, in most ways, mirror whatever your relationship is with your spouse. That's what your kids are going to learn, regardless of what you say. So it's best if you say it and you live it together. Without specific direction, by the way, they may kind of wander. So you may have to sit them down and talk to them a little bit about this. Our Heavenly Father has prepared a future for us in heaven. Earthly fathers have to help their children prepare for that as well, for their future on this earth and for their future in eternity. Our Heavenly Father, the only perfect father. He's the example for every father on earth. <clears throat> he loves us. He gives his best to us. He requires that we follow him and he prepares us. He's given us a plan, a pattern that we can follow for the future. These are all things that we can do as fathers, not as tyrants, but as gentle, loving, caring fathers who say this is all that is acceptable for us because we are children of God. If your father is gone, or if you didn't have a relationship with your father that you wanted to have, you can take comfort in knowing that God wants to be your father. He is exactly the kind of father that you want. Even if not like me, your dad's gone. This is exactly the father that you want. He loves you. And he will help you experience fulfillment in this life and throughout eternity if, if you put your faith and trust in him. So I encourage you. God is speaking to you in your heart. Maybe you're still wondering and you're still needing to pray, God, if you're really there, I'm going to be praying to you and I'm going to be reading your word. Show me. 
Well, you know that's true, then go ahead and trust him as your Savior. And by the way, before I pray, your Heavenly Father wants you to know there are some things you can count on in this ever-changing, tumultuous world. And next Sunday, we're going to start talking about that, a new series called Count On It, what God wants you to know. We're going to go, we're going to have five sermons Each one will come from one of the five chapters of the book of 1 John. We're not going to study every verse in 1 John, but we're going to look at every chapter and and pull at least one principle from every chapter of the book of 1 John. Count on it. Some things that God wants you to know. And you can help help yourself and help me by reading through 1 John chapter 1 more than one time this week. Only 10 verses. Read those 10 verses and we'll get together and talk about them next Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, and what a great privilege it is to call you dad. That's what you want us, Abba. Thank you for having that relationship with us. Please grant us the grace to serve you. I know you care about us, and I ask you to help us to know how much. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Please stand.